Box. Suzanne from SuzanneDecree.com with you here. And Liz Tapia from DarkBeautyMusic.com. Welcome everyone and thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for joining us. We are going to talk about inspiration today and where it comes from. <sighs> you know, I, I really don't know that I have anything for this one. Of course you do. What do you mean I do? Are, are you You're saying ins- you... I know what your inspiration is. You know what my inspiration is? Of course. Well, I know what your inspiration is. I don't know if you do, but allow me to share what your inspiration is, Suzanne. Please do. Thank you. So here's where your inspiration comes from. Your love of all of these cultural... What's the word I'm looking for? Doodads? Uh, (laughs) Cultural doodads. Yes, that's it. That's the word we're looking for. That's the word we're looking for. Your love of cultural doodads and especially your your the library bank that you carry inside that head of yours with all of the knowledge of all of the readings that you've done from all of the years of these Victorian eras and other stuff. Other stuff. (laughs) That goes right along with the doodads. Doodads, other stuff. That's um, your inspiration. It is true. I do read a lot and I read a lot of I read a lot of medieval literature. I read a lot of Victorian literature and I think one of the things that attracts me to you know that span the 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 pre-modern era of arts and music and and uh literature is that they didn't have really mass production at that point, you know, other than basic food, clothing, and, and shelter, they didn't have much. So they really had to dig deep into their imaginations and to turn out a a play or to turn out an opera or to turn out a book. They, They really had to dig deep for that because you weren't inundated on a daily basis like we are now with TV and movies and YouTube and and what have you where you see everyone else's interpretation of everything and what everybody else thinks and you know eventually all of that kind of bleeds into becoming a, a almost mediocrity exemplified because everything starts to kind of have the same feel and the same vibe um, I really, I really like the days where people didn't have that and they really had to dig deep to convey what they were thinking, what they were feeling, what they were trying to show you. Well, I think today it's such a different world. And have you noticed that everybody is walking around pretty much staring at their phones? Even when I go to the movie theater to see something people are constantly on their phones and it's actually stopped me from going for a while because you can't get away from it but it is it's distra- it's distracting to others around you but also you don't have to think as much because everything is just right there and you're right it's it's nothing is as deep as it used to be i think people just kind of lose themselves in whatever's happening probably not they're not in the moment but they're sort of they kind of escape from the moment and I think in a lot of instances, um, you know, we, we have this kind of 
counter classical culture going on where, you know, every, everybody's doing the modern art thing or the modern this thing or the modern musical thing. But when you look at classic operas, when you look at, you know, that was the iPod of the day. If you can picture trying to carry a 300-piece orchestra and a cast of thousands in your pocket, that's that was the iPod of the day. That was the YouTube of the day. Mozart, when when he wrote Cosi Fantuti and you know some of his other operas for you know the common man's opera house, he was practically shunned by the nobility and the church and what have you because he was writing for peons but that's what they went to go see that's that was their entertainment and it was their sole entertainment unless there happened to be a piano or some other instrument at the house that they could all kind of gather around and sing so it was a much simpler time but it was also a much more creative time so you had to read the sheet music. You had to look at the sheet music. You had to interpret the sheet music from, from all of the little symbols and things that were written on there. You had to figure out what the composer meant. And in doing so, you injected, I think, so much more of yourself because you couldn't call up YouTube and go, oh, that's how Matthew McAllister plays that Bach piece. You know, you, you didn't have that. Well, you certainly didn't have that in those times, but... It's interesting that you're saying that because people definitely had to invest a lot more of themselves into whatever they were watching when it came to entertainment in those times. And I think there was a lot more creativity being done, too. And I don't know, should I say that? Because the truth of the matter is there's just as much creativity today, but in a different way. I don't know if there's more or less creativity. I feel it's more creative. You know, that time frame is more creative because... They didn't have the, the inundation of mass knowledge and of the same knowledge. The creativity today is different. The creativity today, I think, is more of a manipulative creativity. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, taking something that exists and seeing what you can twist it into. Obviously, I'm a metalhead. So I go on YouTube and I see thousands of, oh, Slayer, cover, done on banjo, that kind of thing. So I think our creativity today is more of a manipulative creativity versus, you know, let, let's take what's already been done and let's put our own spin on it versus I have to create uh, a world that someone will believe exists from the ground up because that's what you had to do with an opera. That's what you had to do with a book. You know, you didn't have that option. You didn't have those references. You definitely had to work a lot harder and smarter and figure out things in a much different way. You're right, because you didn't have all the things that we have today and the resources back then were certainly much different. And I think it definitely had people creating and really working completely different than the way we work today. I mean, they didn't have Google and YouTube and uh, people are just so plugged in today. So it's, uh, yeah, a different time, you know? Now, since we're talking about inspiration, do you find yourself ever deliberately unplugging? I have to unplug when I'm writing because I can't write if I'm listening to other bands and artists. And I feel like for me, I have to unplug and get away from 
just listening to anything so that whatever comes to me is just coming to me organically. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, you know, taking from somebody else. I mean, we all have to go and look and hear and, and do things to inspire us. And uh, that's why I listen to a lot of opera, especially for what I'm doing. That inspires me a lot in the style that I'm trying to write in and also because the style that I'm learning in. So, but yeah, I definitely have to unplug, which helps me again to just be able to create and like what comes to me on its own is really the better way for me. Otherwise I'm kind of, you know, I'm thinking of other riffs and other stuff and it doesn't, and then it, it kind of clutters, it clutters my head. And I, and, and I mean, you know, we did just get through episode one, not too long ago of, you know, getting organized. So maybe, that's right. Maybe you, maybe you need some drawers for that head. Just to kind of declutter <laughs> a little bit. We, that's no, right. And you, if you haven't heard episode one, go back to episode one and give it a listen. And it's all about getting organized. And episode two, you should listen to episode two as well, because um, reasons, that's why. <laughs> That's why. Uh, Just listen to why. it. Just that's why. Reasons. Um, now you mentioned opera. I like that. That was short, sweet, and to the point. <laughs> you mentioned uh, you mentioned opera, which is awesome because I know we're both very much into opera. Um, I actually, I, for those of you who don't know, um, when I got serious about guitar, uh, the first thing that I forced myself to learn on guitar was Tristan and Isolde from Wagner's Ring Cycle. And I forced myself to learn. Now, I have to tell the story. I have to digress for a moment because this story is hysterical. I, I tried out for a part. I tried out to be the guitarist on a somebody's songwriter's project of some sort. So the songwriter, now mind you, I'm like 18 at the time. Okay. So the songwriter hands me sheet music. The sheet music for the guitar is supposed to be written on treble clef. Technically, even though the guitar is a C instrument, it's kind of a transposing instrument because you bump it up an octave so it all fits on the treble clef. So he hands me the sheet music that's spread between bass clef and treble clef and says, this is the guitar line. And me, being the 18-year-old smart aleck that I was, looked him right in the eye and went, no, it's not. You don't know how to write guitar music. <laughs> Oh, no, you didn't. And the, I, I so did. And the reason I said that is because I was a guitarist. I didn't read bass clef. I didn't know bass clef. Had no idea what. Now, I got through the audition because I was smart enough to read the treble clef and figure out what the chords were really quickly. Um, I was like, oh, OK, this is a C chord. So he's probably starting on a C and he's probably running the arpeggio. Um, so... I, I don't oh, know if anyone funny. I don't know if anyone gathered or not, but I did not get that gig. I, I knew you were in I, yeah, I can't imagine why. <laughs> I know you were all in suspense. Really? It's true. It's true. Um I know I know it's true, Master. It's true. I know you uh I know you guys were all on pins and needles about that. But since I didn't since I bombed that totally bombed that audition because I couldn't read the the bass clef. Well, you were an 18 year old know-it-all after all. And now I'm a <clears throat> year old know-it-all. So not much has changed over the years. So we're in the same space. Exactly. exactly. That's why we get along so well. So I decided I was going to teach myself wah, to learn wah, bass wah. clef. So what do I do to teach myself to learn bass clef? I get Wagner for oh, piano geez. and I force myself to learn this on guitar. Now, anytime wow. you're trying to force yourself to learn something on any instrument, 
I do not suggest A, picking up sheet music for another instrument, and B, picking sheet music that changes time signatures every other measure and key signatures on the measures in between. Wow. It took me about three weeks to get through the first line. It was four measures long. Yeah, well, that Oh, jeez. But rolling that back around, it was opera, which I love and obviously loved at a young age if I was playing it, if, you know, 18 years old. Um, love the opera. But just that little bit of trying to force myself to learn that opera expanded. Like, I, I don't think I've gone back to four, four times since then, you know? <laughs> Does anybody really need to? No, no, not really. I mean, not when you have like 17, 16. I, what's the point? Yeah, and that, that's what makes it so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> the moral of the story is, you know, I really got into that challenge that, okay, I'm going to kind of figure out the bass clef on my own. And I, and I did. I can actually now read bass clef, not terribly well, but I can read it. I can get by. But that, you know, just that opera, just the presence of the opera and trying to play the arias on guitar. I was trying to play the arias on guitar with bass accompaniment. So, you know, you figure it out because I did it once and I don't think I could ever do it again. <laughs> but it's complicated just listening it, to it. it. Is, I right? can't even imagine doing it one time. I was trying to play both hands on the piano on a guitar. And, you know, one of the piano hands was doing these complicated Wagnerian arias. And I, 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 you know, I have to be honest, I did a terrible job on the piece. Wagner was rolling over in his grave, the poor guy. But it did so much to really expand my appetite for opera and and this this style of music that I'd only kind of dabbled in since I was 15 or 16 I kind of walked around going oh yeah I play classical guitar well come this experience I realized that my classical guitar teacher way back then wasn't really a classical guitar teacher he was kind of a guitar teacher that sort of did a finger style thing um mm. so but which is really not the same it's, right it's absolutely not you know, it's it's like getting getting a voice teacher, for example, that says, oh, yeah, I can sing some opera. Uh, no, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Not. I mean, but um, so but one of the things this really inspired me, this really started to deepen my love of the the complexity of opera, of classical music in general. And one of the things that I really got into, of course, as you well know, symphonic metal. Because of that, you've got the driving guitars, you've got the, the you know, blast beats on the kick drum going, and you've got this whole symphony behind the band. And in, in a lot of cases, these amazingly talented sopranos just singing out over this cacophony of, of music. And it's just that is one of my big inspirations as well. Just the whole classical scene, the whole opera scene. And now for a brief pause while we hear a word from our sponsors. PMS? That stands for Perpetual Monsters. What on earth am I going to do? Have you considered purchasing Sidol? Well, yes, but if she sees it in the bag, she'll kill me. Trust me, mash it up and put it in with her taters and it'll all be good. Side all, for when the P in PMS 
means perpetual. I'm Liz Tappy from Dark Beauty, and you can learn more about me and Dark Beauty by visiting darkbeautymusic.com. Social media, band news, music, and more. And you can get an autographed photo of the Dark Angel by clicking on our community page and leaving your comments. Thanks again, and hope to see you at darkbeautymusic.com. Hi, this is Suzanne from SuzanneDecree.com. I want to help you become a better guitarist. Stop by my Facebook page, Suzanne Decree One, or hit me up on Twitter at Suzanne Decree and let me know what you're struggling with. I'll give you a free 30-minute lesson. One per customer, please. And now back to our program. Oh, I love it as well. I mean, it's the one thing that brought me into doing this project and where I am with my own project and opera singers to me just they're just so incredible I just love watching everything about it from the staging to all of the moving parts the characters the voices and the way they command the stage their presence and just I'm so impressed by the the stamina that they need to have in order for them to be a performer and take that kind of a stage and just be able to sing and get their voices across to the person in the last and, row. And that has always boggled my mind as well. And, you know, I listen to a lot of classically trained sopranos, um, but all of, all of the sopranos I listen to have no problem admitting that they need a microphone, but you get, you get these, these opera singers, these trained opera singers, and they don't need a microphone to sing out over a 300 piece orchestra. That to me is not only inspiring, but I mean, just awe inspiring. Like, Oh my goodness. How do they do that? With a lot of practice and a lot of years of training. I mean, it's not something and that you could just kind spells. of ping off your, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's just, it's a lot of work to really, be an expert in that technique and it just takes a lot of years and I've got about what I, maybe seven years now under my belt with this technique and my voice just keeps doing things that I didn't even know it was capable of doing and, and that just comes from you know the voice just growing and, and learning more and developing more and it takes time but it's I think that you know to get to that level I'm sure they've been working at for probably a good 20 years by that point and it does you know you have to have some great teachers to be working with and it's it's just got to be in your blood too I mean you have to live it and breathe it and these opera singers I mean they they do you know not just their vocal practice but they're learning languages and most of them probably know about five or six languages and they've got to sing in di different languages and the, and the classical and opera languages are French German not so much English you've got some Latin no, Italian. Italian. So, you know, you're, you're talking about people that... And I, what I was really surprised to find out recently is the Scandinavian region has its own kind of set of, quote, classical, end quote, operas, or classic operas, I should say. Um, I, was, I was actually doing... I was actually online reading uh, something about the opera houses in... Finland and Sweden and their their native tongue operas and, and listening to some of that and it's like wow I think I was I was actually on uh watching some of the Savalina opera festival 
And it was amazing. Amazing. And, you know, I never thought of Scandinavia as, you know, (laughs) opera, opera land. (laughs) You know, I was thinking, well, the first thing I think of, I mean, when it comes to countries, right. Italy is the first country that I think of when it comes to opera. And it has, to me, it has the most romantic sound when you're listening to it. And, you know, it also is a little bit easier for me because I was born in Argentina, so I speak Spanish. And I used to speak Italian and French when I was younger. And I understand a lot of it, but I've lost a lot of the speaking part of the language. Um, But it's very easy for me to grab onto the Italian because of the pronunciation is so much easier. And I've actually worked on pieces in German, and they're much harder to sing, and it's, it's almost just pronouncing the words and see I actually grew uh, up it, it could become very difficult I actually grew up learning German when I when I got the option to start taking languages in school German was my first language so I actually still oh, I, didn't know I that. actually still speak German fluently um, and I have learned Irish which as you know are two of my uh, ancestral languages i'm german irish and italian so italian will be the next language i copy i I learn but i'm i'm somewhat fluent in irish i'm I'm pretty fluent in german i'm actually learning another language right now and then italian will be my next so you know that's another big place that i get my inspiration from is just language in general i love words i love i was actually talking to my dad the other day there was a word that i that i came up on my word of the day one of my 17 word of the day apps And this word had two meanings and they were, both meanings were like the exact opposite. You had one meaning that said someone who does something adeptly and is, and is a master of this. And the other meaning was basically a clumsy nincompoop. I'm paraphrasing the dictionary a little bit on that one, but you know, but the, the same word had two completely different meanings. And that to me, that sends my head into a spin and going, Oh, I can do so. I can I can use the same word in two completely different contexts, in the same song, in the same, you know, it, almost in the same sentence. If you really want to mess with somebody's head, and that is an, which you really can, and that could get very confusing. <laughs> and that is one of the things. Uh, the, one of the things that I love about English, which makes English such a hard language to learn are not only, it's, and, and I'm sure you can attest to this, you know, you're saying things that are right and proper according to what the word is supposed to be used for, but there's this whole back-end connotation of what it kind of means on the street. You know, it's, it's proper meaning and kind of meaning. And, and I'll give you, I love this example. One of my favorite singers um, says you people a lot. You know, I love you people. You people are great. Well, there's nothing wrong with that statement. She is using the words as they are meant to be used. The funny part is the connotation behind you people is more of a Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake thing. (laughs) You know, it's like, Mm, I am the royalty. mm -hmm. You're the people. Bugger off. Bugger off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) shoo shoo fly away so that's that's what i really love the language you have what the words mean you have different meanings within one word um pet peeve by the way people using the word bombastic to describe music um totally inappropriate use of the word by the way unless you're calling your own music pretentious um (laughs) 
Just FYI. Hmm. Um, Good to know. I'll, I'll make sure not to use that word when describing my own music. Well, you know, and so many people think bombastic means something different, but it really doesn't. It really means pretentious, and it's actually specifically geared toward political speech and the uh, the lies that politicians will spout without ever intending to back up, that sort of thing. But I digress yet again. Again, the whole language thing is just such an inspiration to me because one word can send you off in 50 different ways. Well, which is, you know, brings it circles us back to what we were saying about opera singers and their ability to be able to speak different languages. And that's that's incredible. I think that, you know, they have not only all of the technique, but they've got all of that knowledge and then they can go to all these countries and sing in the language and also understand what they're saying and that that's kind of a big deal so I mean that's I, I draw a lot of inspiration from uh, just everything that they're able to do is incredible to me you know as we're sitting here we're talking about opera and all its grandeur on stage it kind of reminds me of a- another thing that we have in common which is our love of epic film you know, if you if you pull the soundtrack out of Lord of the Rings, you can almost hear a soprano doing arias over that. It's really incredible. And it's one of my favorite epic films of all time. And I love that just everything about it, from the cinematography to the landscape, just the, the creation of how they're able to piece these universes together and create an entire world along with all the characters that live in this place. It's really influenced the way I created Markoom, inhabited by all of the characters in Dark Beauty's music. I get to tell my own fantasy story within this world. And so I draw a lot from epic films. And you're right, you can hear the soprano singing probably over maybe 90% of most of the lines that are in there because it's so classical already. It is, and it's it's amazing. And another place that I draw my inspiration from, which I know you know, is history. I, I'm, a, I'm a true crime buff. Uh, I'm an amateur ripperologist, very amateur. You know, nowhere near a, a Mr. Stewart or a Mr. Begg or any of those guys. Just to try and get into what Victorian-era London looked like just before the turn of the century and, and what it was like to live there and, and to have this guy stalking people on the streets. That to me is very fascinating as well. So I draw a lot of inf- inspiration from history. And of course, a lot of your epic film is based in history as well, whether it, it's something like Ben-Hur, uh, the original, of course, I haven't seen the remake, or it's something like Lord of the Rings, which is based in history, but history from a folklore and mythology perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of history tends to lend itself into that because when you look at the events on a timeline, it plays out almost like the plot line of an opera, of a movie, or something along those lines. And I think a lot of that is, is very inspirational to me as well. And of course, I come from a long, a long line of history buffs in my family as well. It's an incredible way to try to kind of pull some inspiration from uh, especially, well, also my love of horror films. I have to throw that in there. And the one that scared me the most is by far The Exorcist. I, I think to me that's the scariest movie ever. 
I would have to agree with that. And uh, I mean, ghost stories are, are definitely going to have to be a later podcast. Um, but I have a few real life ones to tell to tell at some point. And, uh, you know, having lived through teeny tiny little portions of that, it's that movie scares me even more now than it did when I first saw it. Oh, I can't wait for this podcast episode. Oh, that's going to have to, you know, it's September and we're recording. So, I mean, this sounds like it's going to be in October. We're, we're going to have to do an October ghost stories podcast. Oh, absolutely. That'd be awesome. All right. That would be fun. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, small furry animals of all ages, we are going to sign off. Don't forget to check out our Facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash chatterbox rocks don't forget to hashtag us chatterbox on Twitter and let us know what inspires you we'd love to hear from you this is Suzanne with SuzanneDecree.com and Liz Chapia the dark angel from darkbeautymusic.com thanks so much everyone for tuning in we really really had fun talking about this topic and excited to hear from all of you Chatterbox, chatterbox.